the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Good morning, Tyson. How you doing, sir? I am doing fantastic. We've now hit that cold weather. It was warm yesterday. Now we've got that cold weather coming through. So, but no, things are going well. I'm, I'm getting ready for my written exam. I should have that done fairly soon. So been doing, spent a lot of time on my written exam, getting ready for that. Cause I want to get a really high score. Cause then when you do your check ride, they don't dig as deep. So we're going to try to hit that as close to hundred as it can. So for those who don't know, you're studying for your pilot's exam, right? That's right. So it's exciting, exciting stuff. Well, I'm excited about introducing our guest today. Usually I have to scramble to look up their intro and their bio and everything. But today we have an old friend of the podcast, a gilder, a gildian, I should say, and a great member of the group. His name is Jeremy Baker. He's a construction lawyer out of Chicago. And we're really happy to have you with us today, Jeremy. Thrilled to be here, guys. So, Jeremy, you're not the typical guest that we have on the podcast just because you did come from those, you know, big law, right? You came from big law and you're still sort of practicing big law, right? It's an interesting thing. So tell people about your journey. Well, I've been a lawyer for almost 20 years, but I think that the story gets interesting about four Thanksgivings ago when I was killing time at the car wash and I uh, stumbled upon the Purple Podcast app on my iPhone, kind of fell down the rabbit hole listening to uh, a podcast like this. And began a, a journey. It took me several years to get the idea that I needed to leave my big law job and to launch my own firm. But before that, I uh, worked for a large insurance firm, Cozen O'Connor, for the first four years of my practice. Uh, lots of litigation experience. Uh, uh, decided that I wanted to focus on uh, design and construction law. Made a lateral move in 2006 and stayed at a great firm that I love for almost 14 years, uh, Schiff Harden, where I was a, a partner in the construction group for seven years an associate for seven years before that. And uh, thanks to Max Law and uh, other groups and podcasts like this, I decided that I needed to make a radical shift. And I'm in the third year of running my own firm right now. What was it that resonated with you when you heard those podcasts? Was there something missing in your practice of law, something that you were hoping to change? It really is. And I mean, I really had a great job and I, I had no intentions of leaving. And so I was kind of surprised to feel for maybe five or 10 years before I found the podcast that I was you know, staring at LinkedIn, not understanding how to use it, but feeling that there was power there and sort of 
bumping up against the constraints of the practice I was in, you know, needing to seek business in groups, having a pretty high billable rate. And, you know, what I didn't realize at the time, there was this longing for me to sort of take advantage of what Seth Godin calls the connection economy and reach out there and to try to, you know, advance my career in ways that I wasn't able to at the big firm and being my own boss and, and getting to reach out to potential clients through a lot of different channels has kind of uh, satisfied that, that craving for me. What did your big law buddies think about the move? Well, it's funny because I, this might be shocking to people who are among entrepreneurs, among law firm owners so much, but in all the years that I practiced in my other life, I never came across a single lawyer that left that world to come into this one. When I talked to my buddy, the general counsel of my old firm, and I said, I'm leaving, I'm like, what's the playbook for you know somebody going solo? And they said, there is no playbook for that. There's a playbook for going to a lateral firm and there's a playbook for going in-house. But I really can't think of one example of somebody who has left that world and come into this one. So I think a lot of people looked at it with some amusement and curiosity. And uh, now I think that there's a lot more people that are wondering whether they should consider a similar move now that I've, I've made it out of the gate. All right. So you go in and you tell your buddies and there's, I guess, a date certain that you're leaving. Talk to us about the day before you left your big law job. Well, I'm a planner and I spent two or three years thinking about every possible thing that you could think about, listening to every podcast that I could uh, find, hoping to hear stories of people who did this, who, who were willing to encourage me along but it's kind of like legal research. After you start seeing the same authorities again and again, you feel like you've got the issue triangulated. So for several years, I listened to all these podcasts and I tried to figure out what are all the things I need to do. And then I, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on it, got the website spun up, you know, and uh, it was an out-of-body experience uh, for me to go to my practice group leader, you know, who was a great mentor of mine for 14 years and say, you know, I'm out of here. And I was really concerned that it wouldn't be well-received. But I couldn't have been more uh, mistaken. They threw a little party for me. And I continued to you know, text with those former partners of mine and, and my former mentors on a, a very frequent basis. So, so everybody was really tremendous in sending me off on my journey. So how were those first few months and, and how's it going now? Well, it's, it's funny because by all accounts, it's going great now. And when I was staring over the precipice in my former life, thinking about what would I need to accomplish in order to feel safe and like I made a good decision. I've gotten past those things now, the client acquisition, the dealing with the operations. And so there's so much that I have to work on and I'm, I'm happy to have the guild and people like you to help me with it, that I tend to want to focus on what's ahead and what's broken and what needs to be developed. But you know, I think that I do need to take a moment, pat myself on the back and, and look back two and a half years and feel like in terms of client acquisition, positioning in the marketplace, staying in touch with people I knew, you know, for the last 20 years in my former career, doing all those little things. It's really been tremendous, but I do spend most of my time focusing on what's not going great. And I've got a lot of work to do in the future. Now, Jeremy, we've talked a lot offline and online about how it's different, the clientele that you have. You're not out like me with a big volume practice, trying to sign up lots of clients. You have very particular clients that you do a lot of work for. What did they expect or what have they indicated has been different about going with you as opposed to like all the trappings of the big law 
firm. You know, I think there's a high bar of entry if you're going to sign up with giant law firm because you're going to get a team and you're probably going to get an inexperienced associate and you're going to be paying for their training. And so when I was trying to sell work in the big firm, I was having to do with my practice group's marketing plan and then the firm's broader marketing plan. So there were those constraints. But I feel like a lot of people may have been reluctant to pick the phone and call Jeremy Baker, you know, partnership Harden. Because of, you know, you get all the benefits, but then you get a lot of other stuff that comes with it. When you are out on your own, somebody wants to call, get on my calendar, they could chat with me directly. And, you know, I don't need to worry about a lot of the, you know, constraints. I can do fixed fees not to exceed. I can play with my hourly rate. I can do whatever I want. So I feel like there's maybe an obstacle to entry that has been removed. And it's, it's actually been tremendous in terms of the market responding as I'd hoped that they would. When it comes to the things like the tools and the resources that you had at your old jobs, uh, how does it compare now? Do you feel like you have access to everything that you need? Is it more difficult now? What are your thoughts on that? Well, most of the administrative tasks that need to get done, you know, conflict checking, invoicing, you know, outsourcing work that I shouldn't be doing. We're at a remarkable time right now. I really don't think that I could have started my practice 10 years ago, certainly not the way that I was able to now. So I was able to replace an awful lot of that sort of stuff with technology. And frankly, I think it's uh, much more efficient. A lot of the systems I'm running now, tasks that were done by people, billing tasks, you know, are much more efficient in my firm right now. But, you know, I will admit that there was always, you know, when, when you've got three, 400 lawyers, you've got at least that many support staff, and there's always somebody to come and take care of something for you. So, you know, right now, trying to figure out how to only focus on the things that are my you know, highest and best use and not getting pulled into some of the other admin type stuff. I do miss having people in all directions that I can grab and pull in to assist me, but I'm very lucky to be at a time where we've got the technology that we have, which has largely replaced a lot of the people I relied on at the big firm. And how has that been? Do you like that? Is it doable? Is it something that keeps you up at night? Or is that something that you think you've really sort of been able to master? You know, I think it's interesting because when I was looking at getting out of the firm, I wasn't thinking at all about the stuff that is keeping me up at night now. You know, I was thinking about getting out on great terms and spinning up the practice and getting work in the door. And once you get past those obstacles, which at the time seemed to be the biggest thing in the world. Now it's, you know, how do I systemize? How do I scale? How do I grow? And it is a problem that I am really enjoying thinking about, but I'm nowhere close to solving now because one of my insights over the last uh, couple of weeks and certainly being at MaxLawCon in St. Louis with you recently helped me realize that one of my competitive advantages over the people that I compete with for work is that generally the more complex the problem is, the better I am with it. And that doesn't lend itself very easily to systems and scaling, especially when everybody wants to work with me. And so, you know, my long-term goals are not necessarily aligned with my strengths and the strengths of my firm and what I think draws people to my firm and me. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I achieve my long-term goals of scaling and growth when I have a practice that might be a little more difficult to systematize this production of the substantive work. Well, as you've thought about that, I mean, where's your, your mind taking you? What do you think is the key to that? Well, I'm a big believer in systems and certainly all of the administrative and operations type systems that my firm needs to run can be systemized just like everyone else. So, you know, as far as hiring and all of the things that I need to do, it's just table stakes for me to, you know, climb that ladder and think that that's true for everybody. When it comes to producing the substantive work, you know, there is some tension now where I am trying to create uh, processes 
checklists using software programs with conditional logic to build out if this, then that type paths so I can hopefully bring in other people to execute. It's really on the transactional work, the negotiating the contracts. Litigation, I think, can be more, more simply systematized. So I'm working at this goal of systemizing the substance which is going to take me, you know, years. And frankly, I talked to some of my colleagues at the construction bar at an event a couple of weeks ago, and they looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. They said, it's too complicated. You can't do it. But I'm, I'm having, I'm giving a go at it because I don't know any other way. I don't want to teach everybody that comes through here individually. I want to create a system that can teach them. I think it's a great laboratory to see if you can pull this off. If I were you, Jeremy, I would record everything that you're doing, not just for the training that you're doing, but also like if you can crack that nut and figure out how to help transactional lawyers systematize all the things that they think that they can't, I think that would be a really valuable asset for people. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to start slow and I I don't want to let the perfect get in the way of the good. So building this out all the way could take me a very long time. I'm focusing on particular contracts and transactions just as a laboratory. But I do think that I am having to really shift my mindset because it's been my experience and I don't know that this is, uh, you know, objectively true, but it's been my, my perspective that, you know, there's really two different kinds of firms and two different kinds of, you know, lawyers out there. I think in a lot of the firms that, are, that we run, our friends run, it tends to be very vertical with, you know, one or two owners, heavy emphasis on systems. When you're in the other sort of practice that I was in where, you know, you got 150 partners and 150 associates, people tend to clump together and share knowledge in groups. And so I've sort of been of the mentality that you surround yourself with people that know something, you teach them, you bring them along, you know, not necessarily, hey, here's a system, go operate it, but this sort of collective sharing of knowledge. And I, I attempted to, you know, recreate that a little bit with some of my first hires, took some flack, I think justifiably so from some guildians about not having sufficient parameters for the people to work within. And so it's just sort of balancing that. All my life, it was like the 20 of me and the partners that I worked with in my group, and there were no processes. It was just shared knowledge, shared thinking over decades. And now that I'm in a more vertical type firm where there are not a lot of partners and I need to create those systems, it's just a big mindset shift. And I'm nowhere near to having all the answers. I'm struggling with these issues every day. And let's talk a little bit about the hiring, because one of the things you put on your questionnaire of the things that needs work is hiring qualified attorneys. And we've we've talked about that. You just kind of mentioned it. But what are the struggles you're having when it comes to hiring? Well, you know, right now I've decided that my number one thing is getting more administrative help around here. And so I've sort of set aside the attorney hiring, although I am about to bring on a 1099 contractor attorney just to help me out in certain respects. I am laser focused on getting sort of like a project manager. I don't want to say it's like an office administrator or a legal secretary, but sort of a project manager to help me get things done around here. Aside from that, which, you know, I've not found great candidates yet, hiring attorneys is a challenge because what I do is very niche. I mean, I don't have any data on this, but I like to say that there's a hundred or a thousand real estate lawyers for everyone who does what I do, which is just help people go vertical with buildings. And in Chicago, there's maybe 200 or so people that do work that could be remotely considered what I do, but a very small subset of them, maybe like 20% of them do the transactional work and understand the you know hundreds of standard forms in the industry that have to be deployed correctly. And there just aren't a lot of people out there that do that sort of work. I mean, whether I'm in a big firm or whether I'm in my own firm, everybody's looking to hire those kind of people. So I don't know that I'm going to find a lot of people that can plug right in other than some of my former partners who I'd love to join me. I just don't know that I'm going to find 
find people out there. And one of the big takeaways from when I was at MaxLawCon, and I really enjoyed my time with Seth Price, who I think is one of the smartest guys out there. He helped me understand that I might not be able to find those people, but I might be able to grow them in a way that doesn't require me to teach them all individually. He, with uh, Blue Shark, created an academy to kind of bring people along and to kind of train them up. And so that's kind of what I'm going for here. I'm really endeavoring to create this system to produce the substantive work where hopefully I can bring through lots of candidates. Some will succeed and thrive, others might not, but I don't want to spend the rest of my career teaching the same thing again and again and again. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Our guest today is Jeremy Baker. He's a construction lawyer who left big law, and he's killing it on his own up in Chicago. Jeremy, do you think that one of the issues with hiring an associate might be that, and I don't know this, it's just me thinking out loud, that the kind of associates who would want to do the work that you do and have the kind of clients that you have, would they be more inclined to want to go to a big firm as opposed to thinking that Jeremy's just by himself and he might not be able to pay me six months from now? You know, there's a little bit of that for sure, Jim, because I I can tell you there's a half dozen or dozen people that I want to hire. I've known these people for 10 years and I could plug them right in. These people are really risk adverse. One of them is somebody who I taught construction law at John Marshall Law School with for a number of years. She is a former partner of mine who's tremendous and she could come right in here and, you know, like a number of other people I used to work with and help out. But even being in my third year, there's an adversity risk that I'm finding. It's funny because I'm so, I'm so risk adverse to my clients, but for myself, I'm willing to take a lot more risk. So I do think that there is that I'm giving up a lot on, you know, a speculative venture, but I don't know that everybody necessarily wants to work in big law. There's certainly boutique firms that do the kind of work that I do, you know, five to 10, 15 lawyers huddled together, but they are exactly like the big law firms and they're thinking. It's a great thing for me. It's a competitive advantage and a happy accident that the people I compete with, they don't know what Google my business is. They don't worry about reviews. The only competitor I have has got one review. I've got 20. I'm killing it in my market. None of them are using the internet to try to get, I'm the only one that has a newsletter, you know, and so I'm at this So it isn't necessarily that they need to be in big law, but they think that they need to be in firms that do work the way that the bigger law firms do it. You know, they're living in a three ring binder world, not a digital world. I wonder if part of that forces you to try to mold your firm after the big law firms. How much of your time is fighting that urge to do that? Well, I wish that I was self-aware enough to give you uh, an honest answer to that question, Tyson, because I think that I'm my own worst enemy in a lot of respects. You know, I thought I was a pretty good writer when I joined, you know, Schiff Harden and 
2006 and they immediately said, go sit down and study these grammar books, you know? And so, you know, they don't like commas where there should be semicolons and at some level you have to sort of ditch that mentality. So I am still a little bit of a perfectionist. I've got a high standard. And so I do get in my way a lot. I'm trying to spot that a little bit more in myself, you know, and to try to make decisions about what I'm not going to do, you know, as opposed to what I am going to do. So I'm fighting the instinct to do things the way that I've wanted to do them for a long time. But again, I keep coming back to, I think that the one thing all my clients have in common is they're drawn to the fact that if they've got an extremely complicated issue, that's sort of where I live. And that is just at odds with scaling and systematizing and trying to, you know, it's a bit of a cult of personality. Everybody wants to work with me. You know, I see in your firms, you guys have done a great job, you know, of setting up people around you and the people that your, your clients understand that they're going to be working with a team. That's really a goal of mine, you know, to not be front and center, but my advantages competitively and in the market are sort of at odds with my long-term goals. So it's exhilarating to think about these things. And to be honest with you, even though I don't have answers, the fact that I've even put my finger on some of these things allows me to work at the problem. Yeah. And I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. You know, it's not like you can get people accustomed to the idea of working with someone other than Jeremy when there isn't someone other than Jeremy even there. So that's almost like a problem for future Jeremy Baker, as opposed to current Jeremy. So I wouldn't be too hard on yourself for that. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've got four young kids and, and the oldest is 11 and I leapt out, you know, two and a half years ago, right before, you know, COVID and my book of business was roughly, you know, the size of what I was taking out of the firm. And it was a big gamble about whether I was going to be able to get new clients and to sort of sustain things. So yeah, I try to not be too hard on myself because if I could go back in time a few years ago when I was eyeing this decision and could see where I am right now, I'd have a huge smile on my face. So I try to keep it in perspective. All right. So picture yourself in five years now. What's it look like in five years? And I'm not talking about like, you know, where's this firm going? But I just want to know, like, how are you picturing this thing looking in five years? Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I've given a lot of thought to it. My highest and best use is not, you know, redlining contracts and talking to judges and sitting in depositions. And I think that I'm more in the mold of a gym than a Tyson when it comes to a desire to sort of step out of the front line of the production of the substantive work to be the COO, you know, CMO, sort of just run the firm, do thought leadership, speak and write, you know, attract new business for other people to execute. That's really what I want. So I think we're looking at having another four or five lawyers here, you know, and a bunch of support staff. And I'm trying to reverse engineer that now and to try to figure out what does it look like over the next 90 days for me to get where I want to be five years from now. All right. So somewhere in a car wash across America, there's a big law lawyer who is very frustrated and thinking about going out on their own. And they happen upon this episode of our podcast and they're hearing Jeremy Baker, who's done it. What advice do you have for that lawyer sitting in the car wash? Well, I'll say, I'll say two things. The first is what I wanted to hear more than anything, as I was desperately searching for podcasts where people had gone out on their own and were sharing their war stories. And it's that you can do it. It's really not as hard as you think it is. All the administrative and operational challenges are not that hard to sort out. And, you know, if you cut your rate in half and you cut your hours in half, you can, get, you can double your, your earnings. So you can do it and you should do it. If you're looking for a little bit more encouragement, the second thing I would say is I was really heavily influenced by Seth Godin, almost everything he's written. But in particular, there's a book called The Icarus Deception, where he makes a bunch of points. And what really spoke to me among the brilliant things that Seth says in that book is that, you know, it used to be that the comfort zone and the safety zone were the same thing, right? So you get a, 
you go to a good school, you get a fancy job, you get a fancy office, you know, you camp out there your whole career. It's comfortable and it's safe. I think that used to be true. You know, when I lateraled in 2006 to uh, the firm that I was at for 14 years, the salary wars in 2006, 2007, 2008, I was getting three, four raises a year just because the firm was trying to stay a pace with market. Then, you know, the economic downslide happened, you know, at, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And there's a new time of austerity. And I think that the safety zone and the comfort zone cease to be the same thing. I think that a lot of people that I used to work with at the big firm, they think they're comfortable, they think they're safe, but I would argue that they're really just comfortable because the safety zone has moved into this connection economy. It's the things that the guild is doing. It's the thing that people like you are doing. It's reaching out in new ways, thought leadership, doing generous work. And so for all the people that are sitting in their corner offices thinking that they're comfortable and safe, I would say, check out the Icarus deception from Seth Godin and try to ask yourself, are you still safe and comfortable or are you just comfortable? Because I think Seth is absolutely right that the safety zone has moved away from the comfort zone in the last uh, 10 years or so. You need to clip that section. That's a great way of ending it. I do want to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to join us in the big Facebook group. We've got over 5,000 members there that are sharing on a daily basis. So check us out there. If you want a more high-level conversation with people like Jeremy, go to maxlawguild.com. And if you don't mind taking just a couple minutes while you're listening to the rest of this episode to give us a five-star review, we will greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? My hack of the week, I'm going to riff on something that I talked about at the end of Max Flawcon, and that is that every dollar is not created equal. Equally, Amani would correct me. Amani loves to correct me with adverbs when she always adds the L-Y to whatever word I say. But anyway, the tip is this, that you need to sit down and look at your various case types and you need to figure out how much does it cost me to produce this widget? How much does it cost me to obtain this result for my client? And how many hours am I spending versus what am I charging? And I think you might be surprised to find that not every dollar is created equally, that you have some case types that take a ton of attorney time or maybe a ton of paralegal and attorney time and you get X amount and you have other cases that are very easy and take less attorney time, less paralegal time. And that you need to think through which ones are the most value for the amount of time spent and then try to get more of those cases. You know, it's really interesting, Jim. We're going through something now where, because we've got a lot of data on how much a case makes us, right? I don't have a lot of data on how much a case costs us and both in resources general, right? And in people time and in just cost. So that's something that we are working on now. So it's interesting that we're both working on that similar things at, at the same time. So very cool. All right, Jeremy, you know the routine you've listened to, if not all, almost all of our podcasts. So what is your tip or hack of the week? You know, I just think that one of the biggest things that I've learned over the last couple of years is, you know, uh, believe in yourself, you know, run fast, take some risks. And, you know, if, if you make a, a mistake, you can always take a step backwards and kind of course correct. But, you know, I've, I have been uh, inclined to be perfectionist. I've been inclined to walk slow. And I think that that is something I'm really fighting. So, you know, I forget who the quote's from, but, you know, run fast, break things, throw yourself out there. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you course correct, but you keep moving forward. I like that. Uh, run fast, break things. It's good. It's how Jimmy is. That's how he lives his life. Very good. So my tip is something that I've been playing around with for a two or three weeks now, and it's BNI meets LinkedIn. It's something called Alignable. And I think Alignable has actually been around for a few years. 
However, they I can tell they've made a massive push. I've seen a lot of invites from people for Alignable and it's alignable.com. There's an app, but it's more based on referrals than just promoting your business. LinkedIn is just to me, like LinkedIn is like a fluid resume almost, but Alignable is more based on referrals. So I'm having some fun playing around with it. So check it out, see what you think uh, about it. It's a pretty cool platform. It's fairly easy to use. So it's alignable.com. Check it out. Jeremy, thank you so much. It's been great. It's funny because we had you on a hot seat and we've we've talked to you a lot. I talked to you at the conference, but I feel like I learned more about you today too. So it's just cool to have you on. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Bye guys. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.